This episode of the podcast is brought to you by my company, Horns of Odin. Now, recently we released our winter range, which is our biggest ever clothing collection. It's made up of our signature Horns of Odin jacket, which is a beautiful check jacket with a thick quilted padding lining. We also have a Nord sweatshirt, which is a beautiful caramel sweatshirt, which is nice and thick to keep you warm in the cold weather. We also have a selection of different t-shirts with beautiful petroglyph designs of different gods. So we have our Freya t-shirt, we have an Odin t-shirt, a Thor t-shirt and a Freya t-shirt. Alongside that, we have some nice simple t-shirts with just a petroglyph logo on there. We have a selection of different beanies in different colours. We also have a couple of scarves on there in various different colours as well. So if you like the sound of that, please just head over to hornsvoting.com to check out the full range. And also, exclusively for listeners of this podcast, we're giving you a 10% discount. So all you have to do is use the code HORNS10 at checkout. So that's HORNS10 at checkout and you get 10% off your entire order. That doesn't just uh, apply to the winter range. It's literally off anything on the website. Just as an extra thank you for supporting the podcast. All right, let's jump into the show. Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farron, corner of the company Horns of Odin, and I'm joined as always by Dr. Matthias Nordvig. A sleeping Matthias Nordvig this morning. <laughs> yeah, uh, thanks to our guest, Eric Storosund. Um, I, I've had, had to get up early. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <laughs> uh, you're fine. Um, welcome to the show, Eric. You're the uh, uh, podcaster, uh, Brute Norse. You run a blog and you also, you know, do other kinds of things that, uh, you know, are generally involved with uh, things like Nordic mythology, pre-Christian Scandinavia and so on. So uh, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. This is my first time live on YouTube, I think. So it's a debut for me, for sure. (laughs) Thank you for taking the time. Um, And I've certainly enjoyed some of your articles before. In the past, in particular, the one on the Valkno was what first brought me to your to your page, to your website. I think that was the first uh, thing I ever wrote that uh, actually uh, got a, like something akin to like a viral uh, traction. I think, though, of course, I've written other articles as well that uh, have been that are certainly more my some of my more popular stuff. I think that's what many people associate with me, these kind of debunking articles, which, of course, is not my full intent. I don't want to just take stuff away. I also want to add something to things. Because I think that actually, like, that this, you know, getting clarity on these subjects does actually serve a purpose also, uh, beyond just being reductionistic, you know? Mm. So, so, yeah, I mean, you you wrote that Valknut article. You're also... Uh, I think very famous for the in debunking the uh, Yol sacrifices as as another example of um, of like these uh, standard myths that we have about what what did people do in the Viking Age, what did people do in pre-Christian Scandinavia, um, and so why do you feel the need to do that? Actually, it's <laughs> <laughs> a good question. Okay, so uh, uh, I'll try to keep it short and snappy. But you know, um, uh, you know, I started out uh, as a fairly just 
ambitious uh, student of Old Norse philology at the University of Bergen in Norway, uh, and I had my my ambitions were always to pursue academia uh, full time. You know, uh, I had those big academic dreams, but when I first started getting into that, before I got that far, I had like a vivid interest in the Viking Age and living history, and I was always sort of like, um, I always wanted to get into the nitty gritty and try to find like discern what is what is the bullshit from from the truth here, you know. Uh, also, probably partially because I was eager to uh, understand. I'm like, I, I had this, I don't know, like this uh, religious drive to try to understand also uh, how people in the past fought. And I think that that's always kind of uh, been with me through all my, you know, I've been around the, uh, how should I say that, the subcultural block a few times uh, and experimented with all sorts of uh, worldviews. Uh, but I think that uh, some constants have always been there, and that's like my need to try to understand um, wh- how people in the past fought mm. and what 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 remains with us uh, to this day, like fundamentally an existential human question, I think. So I always thought that uh, that uh, source-critical academia was a resource uh, for that. And there yeah. are different schools of thought about that, I'm sure, but... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so that's why I always uh, I always felt that the quality that was out there and the content uh, was very introductory, and people didn't have access to the sort of stuff that uh, that uh, scholars just talk about in their break room or whatever. So that was how I first started out with uh, the precursor to Brute Norse was more like a Q and A thing, which drove me up the wall because I was so tiring to just answer people's questions all the time. Uh, and ultimately, you know, I think I. I was also getting growing disillusioned with academia. Uh, I was going off into a more avant-garde style. I started doing lectures instead of conferences. I would I would go to art shows and do lectures. I I, I did art curation and and even like a few exhibits for a brief time. And uh, in the end, sort of like all of all of the other my other interests started converging into this thing that is Brute Norse, which is all all about sort of like this kind of punkish DIY. Mm-hmm. approach to it, which is also interested in the spiritual aspect of this, uh, but is ultimately also about the, um, the academic craft behind it. And also I'm very interested in the reception, how we how we use uh, symbols and Norse myth and uh, what sort of role symbology plays, say, in neo-paganism or right. what schools yeah. of thought there are there, you know? So, yeah. And I mean, uh, you know... Uh, Speaking as somebody who who is very familiar with the uh, the symbols and and the imagery that we know from all kinds of objects from from pre-Christian times, just like broadly speaking, I mean, I, I can see, I, I, and I'm personally a, a big fan of what you do with with the material, like you know, uh, putting you know images from a, a bratiate on 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 the back of a a, a, a bomber jacket, like a. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that kind of stuff. I mean, it, it, it's just it's it's great. I, I love the confluence of like uh, different times and eras, basically. That's happening in all of that. Well, yeah, that's what I call uh, Scandi futurism. Uh, exactly, course, yeah. which is which is just uh, I needed a, a term, kind of a buzzword, <laughs> some kind of like newspeak term that, that yeah. I could apply. You know, whenever somebody tries to like, because people always try to pigeonhole you. I notice that when people don't to understand what you're saying you know they, they make assumptions or whatever you know and of course even when you do say what you do they still make assumptions but you know i could always just say that oh this is 
scandi futurism. So, so when I'm saying some sort of bullshit, you know, it's at least very clear what I am, what I am bringing here. You know, <laughs> what 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 is my bullshit as opposed to uh, other people's is bullshit or or yeah. whatever. You know, so I I'm not I'm not saying that this like everything I say is completely like objective because it's not obviously, but. Uh, but yeah, so I want to create that sense of confusion in time. I think it's important to, because um, um, the past is not something that just we discover, right? It's not just something we dig up. It is also something that we affect uh, through our use of it and how we, how we approach it. And it's constantly changing just as the current is changing as well. <laughs> Yeah, and I think this is this is actually a really good point, both from you know a, a scholarly level, but also from somebody who 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 is interested in scholarship, but isn't necessarily a scholar himself. Like looking at this stuff, like saying, you know what, um, it, the past is always with us in one way or another, and we can't objectively look at it. We we will always be caught in some weird little box that that we have brought with us. Um, and, you know, sometimes it is very easy for the person uh, looking at the person uh, interpreting and analyzing and, and say, well, you know, the box that he brought with him is definitely a Nazi box uh, or the box that <laughs> yeah. he brought with him is some kind of weird Marxist box or, you know, those kinds of things. But, but for most people, broadly and generally, for most people, it's, it's always, you know, a, a mix and confluence of a lot of different influences, right? So, yeah, it's a constant uh, spiral and feed, feedback loop that just can be very dizzying, actually. And, yeah, uh, and I think yeah. it's it's really important to be honest about that. I guess that everybody's own personal life experiences will affect how they look at history as well and how they look back at the past. You know, how one person might interpret something, another person might interpret completely different based on their own political views or life experiences. Yeah, exactly. And uh and I think you know, like uh, full disclosure here, like a lot of uh, a lot of my stuff comes well for one thing, I was also like I think when I was in my teenage years and early 20s, I was very like full-on reconstructionist heathen. Like that's mm -hmm. what I was. I was like we're going to like try to and and like my uh, even like my you know, my professors like Elder Hayden and stuff like that, oh, we really don't know that much, you know, about their worldview at the end of the day. And I was just kind of like, yes, but I kind of refused to accept it. So I was also, and I've always kind of been like in, you know, I've always been kind of savvy and in with the counterculture, always um, recognized myself in like yeah, kind of these oddballs who stand outside of society or like who are kind of these trickster figures who um, uh, have this kind of ironic and edgy approach to things. And that was a thing that, you know, was quite possible uh, in, say, the, 80s and 90s, for instance, where it's become, you know, increasingly suspect as we venture into the new millennium. And I think that, you know, in some regards, all of my influences are people uh, who were like 10, 20 years older than myself. So maybe like I'm more like mentally Gen X or something like that. I, I don't know. So I was felt kind of <laughs> out of step with a lot of my, my contemporaries. But yeah, no, I was, um, I was also very like, you know, um, it was easy for me, at least at first, also to to kind of find that there was something interesting about these kind of subcultures that are kind of critical of the modern world, you know, and the industrial world and things like that. So I've, you know, I've, you know, I've sniffed around in those uh, parts as well. But ultimately, I've found that even though there's 
even those kind of subcultures have something interesting to them, I, I ultimately found that it was uh, was often just too tied up with like contemporary politics that I just wasn't interested in, you know. Um, but I think that that's those uh, those kind of subcultures are are you know this they they've kind of mutated and they're still around very much, uh, and are an important influence probably uh, for at least subsets of what we're going to discuss today. I'm sure. Yeah, so that's actually um, interesting that you say this um, because we this is our first show that we're recording after uh, Capitol uh, Hill Gate. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. Um, <laughs> a bunch of fucking traitors <laughs> tried to storm the Capitol, and and um, and we're seeing you know we've seen images of this uh, jackass. Uh, with um, and sorry, I'm I'm not going to sugarcoat any of this. This this fucking twat um, with uh, a, a that's the most British you've ever sounded. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he's got a Valknut uh, tattooed. He's got uh, something that looks like a Thor's hammer and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Wearing the, some... the worst Milner I've ever seen in my life as well. Yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> um, wearing some. Uh, a, a, fake ass uh, uh, Native American head regalia. It looks like actually coyote skin. Um, and I, I mean, he's also got the generic um, Google Yggdrasil around the nipple as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's I was the, about to say, yeah. That's the one that when you Google Yggdrasil, that's the one that comes up. Everyone will have seen it. It's, you know, as basic as you can get when it comes to getting an Yggdrasil tattoo. No, no offense to anybody out there that has the same one. But it is very much the archetypal one you see. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, what do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> I want to say that at least, like, if I'm going to give him some credit, I think that the the, the hammer is actually the most original design there. It actually know? is. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. So I, I don't. So reluctantly, I'm going to give him that. But you know, uh, <laughs> there's there's a few things to say about this, of course, and it's very regrettable that this is being this is such a topic, and and you got the media going around like saying that all of this is uh, synonymous with white power and stuff like that which is of course uh, complete hogwash in some ways but in other ways you know it's um it's a it's a confusing terrain uh, for mm-hmm. uh, for these people to navigate because quite frankly they don't have any clue what they're talking about you know um so there's a real there's a lot to unpack here yeah i think that's what we need to keep in mind as well is what i've repeatedly said on the show is that it's not the audience of this show that we need to convince. Otherwise, it's it's the average Joe on the street who knows nothing about this culture and this community yeah. who sees something like that and then they just see somebody else maybe on Facebook say, oh, well, that's a white supremacist symbol. And automatically that connection in their mind is then made. So every time they see that symbol, because they don't know any better, and you can't really blame them because I guess it's just like us going on Facebook and seeing a symbol from a different culture and somebody saying it links to something like white supremacy and you kind of just take it at face value if you don't know the in-depth. Yeah. Well, I'm also like, uh, there, are, there are also other things that I'm, uh, that concerns me about this. And it's one of the things is that, uh, that these journalists are, they take things at very much face value, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you actually look at uh, this guy's worldview, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of neo-paganism, not a lot of Norse, like, Azatru in this guy's worldview. Maybe there was at 
the time he got these tattoos. I don't know. But like I when you see the stuff. Yeah, when when he posts, it's like full-blown full Jesus freak. It's like like conservative Christian, you yeah. know? So it wasn't it's like, he outside holding a sign up, something to do with God, God is great or something? I'm sure I saw that. Yeah, yeah, maybe, I don't know. But like he does that and he's got this full crystal healing stuff. So this is really just your run-of-the-mill sort of like right-wing American, uh, new age adjacent sort of um, like conservative Christian stuff. It's, it's, it's nothing new. Uh, but but I think that um, this is something that I often talk about. It's that uh, that in sort of the in the Western hegemony, you know, which is like what is that like France, England, the USA? I don't know. There are probably others that could be included there. Mm-hmm. None of these people, none of these cultures uh, associate themselves with uh, this, you know, Germanic heritage. So it's very easy for them to just say that this is inherently suspect, you know. Mm. It's like you can't go around saying like in the UK that like like Boudicca is some sort of like nationalist uh, symbol or something like that because it's like they're it's a it's a symbol they're sympathetic towards. It's like in Scandinavia, just seeing somebody with a rune tattoo in Norway, nobody nobody thinks twice. They might think that they've got eccentric interests or something, but there's no it's it's not something that is inherently suspect. No, I mean we part, yeah. We've, as I've said before, we in Scandinavia we have uh, even graffiti that's like did runic designs or or from you know even from runestones, <laughs> you yeah. know. So so it's like it's it's very common. It's part of uh, part of a general identity. Go to the city hall in Copenhagen if you are ever in Copenhagen as tourist. I definitely uh, advise to go to the city hall. It's it's a really interesting construction in and of itself. It's basically a replica of the city hall of the Italian medieval Italian town Siena. So this mm. <laughs> is like the. the Copenhageners were like, yeah, let's copy that uh, in, in, in the early 1900s. And then uh, they loaded it up with uh, pictures and imagery from like paintings from uh, the sagas. You know, there's, there's like these huge ballrooms just full of uh, Odin over here and Hrolf Kraki over there and, you know, all of that stuff. So I mean, these things are very, very normal to us and in Scandinavia. Yes. But like, but as I said, like the kind of in the English speaking world, like interest in the, and I, I even, I would even wager that in America, there's kind of like, it's, it's a very strong word, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like there's a little bit of anti-German sentiment in American culture. Like it's not, it's not the, the heritage you're the most proud of, you know, it's not the, what you speak the loudest about, you know, cause you know, two world wars, you can't really so there's no shock, you know, why, but mm-hmm. there's not like, it's not a, exactly a super celebrated thing outside of like sausages and beer, you know? Yeah. And so like, uh, and so this kind of like, if you even know what the runes are like, or like, uh, or like inc- a very strong interest in, in these subjects is kind of like, it's kind of like a marginalized thing. Not necessarily in that it's always a, something suspicious but it's always something that is kind of like weird you know why mm-hmm. would you be interested in that and that's like a typical like kind of like as i like to say it's kind of like a roman thing you know it's like this this kind of bias towards what is barbarian you know mm-hmm. and so like and and whatever is marginalized gets appeal you know it's it's appealing if you're not uh if, if you're not in that 
that kind of in-group, if you're part of that kind of opposition, any symbols that are rejected, and this is esotericism, esotericism is rejected knowledge, right? I think that's Wouter Honegraaff's definition. Um, that's a scholarly definition, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, in kind of what we could call the cultic milieu, anything that is rejected is accepted by that, you know, so that gains sort of that appeal. And that, in that regard, like these, um, this association between like, like the far right and neo-paganism becomes sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, you understand where I'm going with this? Like, mm-hmm. we always imagine like, for example, the Nazis to be like these kind of pseudo-pagan kind of like, like, like blood wizards, you know, mm-hmm. who just worship this, you know, this, these Aryan godmen and whatnot. But there's a whole, like, that's a whole other podcast, unfortunately, but but the, the fact of the matter is, like, the, the, the Nazis were tremendously Protestant, you know, they were their own kind of ethno-nationalist brand of Protestant, mostly, but I don't, it's, like, an, uh, undeniably true that, like, yeah, if you look at the Norwegian Nazis, for instance, they were horribly Protestant. Mm-hmm. Like, like they, they weren't as pagan as they were anti-Catholic, basically. You know? Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point. And uh, do you think then that that there's a part of all of this and that, uh, that also makes it just easier to focus on that one douchebag who's like wearing some uh, uh, some, some some pagan Nordic symbols uh, while you know they're blaring Christian music outside and they're all talking about God this and God that and you know have just come out of the evangelical churches and all that stuff. Of like, course, yeah. It's easier to simply just like, oh, look at this idiot over here. <laughs> yeah, it's obvious. Yeah, it's easier to disassociate with the things you don't, you never associate with in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with like, uh, and it's it's the same thing with kind of this um, uh, this notion like the of like the of Nazi occultism, right? You will see it even like serious scholarly books will tell you that like the the Nazis had like this kind of like. Like this blood blood religion is probably a good term actually for what the Nazis did, but to to say that this is like some like neo pagan thing, there were like small like historical Nazi groups who were who who definitely were neo pagan in this weirdly social Dar- Darwinist way, like mm-hmm. like kind of like mythologized uh, social social Darwinism, uh, but. Like very rarely do you see anything like of the kind like that that uh, a modern neo pagan would recognize as their own, like yeah. their own religion. And these people were extremely marginalized within the Nazi groups. Some of them were uh, completely banned even. Um, but it's it's comforting for pe- people, you know, after the horrors of World War II, uh, to say that, well, the Nazis really weren't like us. They like they were like they had these weird ideas and they had these weird interests and like they weren't church-going Christians like you and I, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's really, that, that's also the danger, right? Because if, yeah. we, if if we're not recognizing the fact that these these Nazis, they were just exactly like modern human beings of, of all kinds, then we're also uh, forgetting that it can happen again, right? We're basically yeah. ignoring that that it, 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 is, it is a matter of like your moral compass more than something that is inherent to your nature. Yeah, ninety well, percent of the people. Who, you know, have you ever seen that like um, that meme? It's kind of like it's a very like self-serving uh, kind of meme where the where there's all of these. Uh, I'm not going to do it, but that, there's all these these Nazis doing like the salute, you know. Mm. And there's like one guy who's got his arms crossed, 
And they're like, yeah, be be this guy, you know? I'm sure, yeah, by all means, be this guy. But like 90% of us aren't that guy. Mm. It's hard, yeah, it's hard to be that guy when you're going to get shot for being that guy. Yeah. yeah. And and most <laughs> of us... You no, know, it's easy, or it's easy to say, be that guy, you know, like 70 years later when there's no danger to you. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Many people are simply just willing to go along with whatever gives them the least hassle in any given moment. Oh, you know? of course. And that's always just, that means that you're going to be uh, in with uh, with the ideology of your in-group. Be that like your little like redneck town, like you're in, in, in the Rust Belt or whatever. Or or if you're like uh, like uh, like a hipster living in like Brooklyn or whatever, you know? Mm. I mean... But- this guy on on Capitol Hill and obviously others like him who kind of these white supremacist group who use these symbols. How much of it do you think is to do with anything to do with the gods or any sort of religious side more than it's just they look at the Viking culture and think, oh, these guys were warriors, so I want to use those symbols because of that. It's nothing for me anyway. They can be Christian, but also they they just look at this this culture and see these you know the Viking warriors, the men of the toughest, the hardest, the strongest. So they use those symbols to try and embody that rather than actually on a religious scale. Yeah, well, well it's, a, it's a complicated question. What is what is religious, you know? Uh, scholars of, of new religious movements would, of course, say that all of the, none of these things are mutually exclusive. Uh, you, can, you can have all sorts of different ideas floating around that express themselves in different ways. Uh, but, but yeah, you know, if, if you go on like the... In like the kind of weirder fringes of the far right. You know, what is one of the biggest taboos today? Well, that's to be an atheist, basically, you know. Mm. You know, it's it's like the one thing that you should not, not be, you know. There are other things that you should not be <laughs> according to them, but uh but uh but like the one of the biggest taboos is certainly like atheism. That's like the biggest faux pas like like even if you like if you align themselves yourself with them or something like if you're if you don't believe in some like sacred you know, principle then that's like, well, what are you really, you know? Uh, what that is, I think that is often just down to like whatever scene it is. And it's a lot of it is down to aesthetics, I think, you know, really. Uh, but that's that's the same with also true. You know, people people have, you know, I'm not going to say that then like anybody's religious convictions are not real or proper or that they're fake or anything like that. But I think that a lot of it really is... <laughs> Uh, is uh, is aesthetics like I, I talked uh, or aesthetics and philosophy, morals, all of these things tied together. Of course, I was talking to a um, a friend yesterday, and we were talking about this kind of like this solar thing that is floating around in some of like the pagan subcultures. We have like this uh, big emphasis on this like like one like big powerful like image, and that had us thinking about well, what about like the concept of like a, of a supreme entity, a godhead or something. That's just not something that appeals to me personally, mm. you know. So I'm I'm unlikely to 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 kind of pick those sorts of symbols. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, this is also when it comes to if we look at sort of the broad, long-term perspective of neo-paganism, we can we can perhaps you know go, get even as far back as the 1700s. Yeah, there's so many um, fashions. Yes, all of them, and you know. Um, and yeah, once you see this idea of the the solar godhead, for instance, like cropping up here and there, right? And you know, usually they they also come with uh, <laughs> uh, with other social 
uh, um, developments that, that sort of spell similar ideas in different ways. This is actually an idea I just had the other day. It's like um, last time neo-paganism was a really big thing in, uh, in broadly in culture, uh, Western culture. Uh, that's when, you know, shit hit the fan too. Right. I mean, that's 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 when we had world wars about all these kind of things. Do you think there's anything about neo-paganism and it's a presence in society that spells, uh, I don't know, some some kind of disaster? Because, <laughs> um, OK, so the, the, the train of thought here was simply yeah. that what we're seeing is um, we're seeing a lot of people who have a, uh, a hard time separating uh, uh basically fact from fiction um who have a hard time you know navigating knowledge basically and you know i think a well, lot yeah, of navigating actually, knowledge i think that's uh think yeah that's a probably a better way to talk about it than, than saying fact and fiction because you know what is fact and fiction <laughs> well there are there are like there are parts of like as always uh in kind of in the counterculture knowledge has always been sort of power you know mm-hmm. uh so so of course just to go back backtrack a little bit on like the the political instability aspect of it um i think well it's a it's a dangerous assertion maybe to make that uh, that uh, that uh, this the barbarian religions go together with barbarian times so that is certainly a oh, very, that's, that wasn't the that wasn't what oh, i no, meant by saying no, that no. i was <laughs> that is a very that's a very seductive thought i have to say <laughs> very, very appealing to my because i always talk about barbarians and sort of like try to like you know, uh, both like sort of question the existence of barbarians, but also try to make people see uh, their inner barbarian or or this trollish aspect of themselves. But but um, yeah, no, the, the um, yeah, there's certainly like uh, with the demise of traditional academia, I think that like ac- academia as we know it, like is sort of like has been sort of digging its own grave. I'm a mm. I'm a I'm an, a refugee of the Norwegian precariat, you know, where I couldn't get a couldn't get a job to save my life, uh, working really shitty hours at uh, at otherwise very sweet gigs, you know, at museums and things like that, and just not being able to end, make ends meet. And there's like an overabundance of people who are educated who do like us who, uh, instead of going into academia, we become content creators and things like that. And we're gonna be. I think we're going to be a big like that's going to be a big challenge for academia to to keep up with in the long run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but also the other side of this is of course that like uh, people anybody can amass huge PDF libraries now. Uh, like the know how that you and I had to go through to uh, to get the know how that we do, uh, like by going to conferences, staying current with things, um, and 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 get and also learning kind of the folklore and the oral culture of academia, people can, people can learn a lot of this stuff without ever going through that process, mm. uh, well, for better or worse. How many think actually do that? There, like you say, there is, the knowledge is there to be learned, but I, I would say that most people, the highest percentage of people, are just lazy nowadays, and they don't want to go down the avenues yes. of having to, to read themselves or dig out the information themselves and whilst it, it's there it's easier just to look at the headline or read the first paragraph and go okay i got this 
and I think not not just in this this culture, but in general across the world, you know, that's why clickbait headlines are so popular because people read the headline. Most people don't look at the article. They just go, yeah. okay, I know what this is about and I'm going to go and tell my 10 friends on Facebook who then go, oh, that must be true and I'm going to tell my 10 friends and then it just but that's also That also comes down to uh, authorities of knowledge. Um, so whether it's journalists or ac- academics, uh, it's, it's the same s- situation. We have a, a people who are, are monopolizing knowledge and then they are making it partially available to uh, those who don't have that monopoly, right? So for instance, when it, when it comes down, uh, when we're talking about clickbait, right? You know what, that, that shit's designed. There's, there's somebody who made that, right? Mm-hmm. So that person who made that is responsible for uh, those people who don't uh, investigate it and don't, you know, try to uh, develop their understanding of it. And well, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for falling for it as well. I mean, I've clicked yeah. on those ads that say, look at these 10 celebrities. You won't believe what they look like now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you never I, fucking I, find them. No. <laughs> that's, that's, I think a lot of people, uh, regardless of their level of education or anything like that, actually fall for that stuff once in a while. And, and that's because <laughs> over all the time. <laughs> but speaking about the academic side of all of this, one of the things, Eric, you're saying, well, academics, they uh, have basically been digging their own grave for a while now. And I, I completely agree with that. One of the main ways that academics have been doing that is um, by monopolizing knowledge and especially doing it in the sense that um, you, uh, you, you, you establish yourself as an authority and then, <laughs> then, then you present that to the world without ever uh, questioning your own authority. Yeah, uh, and also being open about the fact that your authority should be questioned. I mean, uh, academics, regardless of who they are and how far they are in that hierarchy, they all ma- make mistakes of various yeah. kinds, and this is very important to keep in mind, right? Yeah, but but this is like, but as I was going to say, this um, the people who uh, have the attention spent. Well, this is a civilization on with with ADD, you know. It's <laughs> Uh, but uh, but yeah, regarding like this, uh, uh, like there are like there's gonna be people out there uh, who are are gonna be able to sway, and there are people already you know, who are able to sway uh, people into to thinking that their bullshit is like well researched and stuff just by digging up uh, some articles uh, and some old books here and there, and and saying, well, you know, I don't know, like. Uh, like John de Vries says this or whatever, and they've heard that you know John de Vries is like a huge, huge, important scholar, and he is. Uh, but then they're like, but it's completely isolated from like the the rest of the discussion, you mm-hmm. know, that others might, you know. And so it's gonna there's gonna be it's gonna be like a whole uh, like I think in the future there's gonna be a whole much bigger challenge of like that this uh, democratization of knowledge is gonna create like a m- more like multipolar thing where uh, people can create like little cults of uh, personality around us well varg is a great example mm-hmm. of that you know where he's he's just you know well he doesn't really cite sources he's just like this it's 100 personal gnosis right mm-hmm. but there are other people who have like uh, who have the ability to read a book you know not just write them <laughs> you know uh and uh and i i think i think a lot of like 
I'm sure, like, I don't know if somebody's commenting under this video or something that Varg has tons of footnotes in his books and stuff like that. I think that a lot of his prison era books are ghostwritten, frankly. So I don't, I don't think, that, I think that his etymologies, I don't think he wrote them. But uh, that's another uh, topic altogether, which I'll probably be attacked for now that I've said it. But that's my opinion. I don't have any proof for this. You're I'm just speculating. Because he doesn't, he doesn't know Old Norse. He's he's demonstrated it. Mm -hmm. He didn't forget that in the last few years he was in prison. That's no, no. <laughs> I I, no, I mean he's he's he he doesn't know shit. I mean he's. <laughs> oh. I I agree. I think he, uh, you know if anything he's probably ghostwritten in the dose books. Like you know. <laughs> I think yeah. in this um, in this day and age as well, it's easy to just especially if someone's charismatic and they can speak well, they know how to put together a nice video. You can easily make something that can be misinformation and spread it and it and it gets taken as gospel. Because, you know, on on YouTube you could have our video against somebody else's. And if you know if somebody who speaks well, it's it's put together well, how are people going to know the difference without looking deeper into it? And most people aren't gonna, they're just gonna click on the video, watch it, and then if it comes across as credible and they assume that the person is a credible source, then they're just going to take it and run with it and then tell the people it. Yeah. Well, one of my most uh, controversial articles is that the, the one uh, uh, clubbing Solomon Seal, which is about the, um, the Agus Yalbur, you know? Uh, and um, I think that that one is interesting because that is actually, that's gone far beyond um, uh, the Valknut article in terms of like... Uh, influence and 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 where it's like been spread around can you can you uh, explain what that is the basis behind it it's something that i'm not familiar with and i'm sure there'll be other people listening to this one either well okay so basically uh the the general thing is that uh that the so the the icelandic galdrastavir you know uh are like they're often presented as this kind of indigenous viking uh kind of sigil magic right uh, that completely sort of exists uh, as its own sort of like like tradition that goes all the way back to the Viking Age and has its origins in the runes and things like that. So is that like um, is that the basically the stave these? Type yeah, symbols. yeah. So yes, so like yes. you get the Vegvisir and those type symbols. Yeah. Yes, exactly. The Vegvisir and uh, and the Egisjalmur, you know. Okay. Which is called yeah, so, the Helm of Awe or something like that. Helm of Awe, English, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and the, the big, you know, everybody goes like there and thinks that this is a Viking Age symbol, um, when in fact the origins of this it goes, goes back to like continental magic. That's mm -hmm. what it is. It's like Solomonic, like demonology sort of stuff, you know, uh, which Icelanders were very well-read folks. They had access to a lot of books. They sent people down to the continent to get educated and uh, books of magic uh, from the continent traveled to Iceland. Uh, Galdrabok manuscripts are full of continental magic. Yeah. And uh, there's an acculturation that happens because Icelanders were, kind of, you know, they were kind of culturally narcissistic, just like we are. And uh, they're, you know, they, they acculturated what they found in these manuscripts and kind of wrote it into their own, like, uh, traditions. So they're like, they, they take these kind of rune-ish symbols and they say, oh, this is, this is runes. But they also, like, these manuscripts refer to all sorts of things as runes, like magic alphabets, from from the from from Greece, Greek alphabets, uh, Hebrew letters, all sorts of things. Um, but yeah, well, so the bottom line that I argued in that article is that you know the Agus is like early modern or late medieval Icelanders uh, 
making shit up based on like uh, legendary tradition, like terms that actually existed. Like there is, there is an object called Egisjalmur in the uh, in in Norse sources, and everybody who attacks my article, they seem to like they they must have skipped that paragraph where I say this. You know, and I'm not <laughs> denying that this word or this concept existed. Is that the helmet that's found in Fafnir's kit? Lair. Is it a helmet or a symbol or yes. do they ever say yeah, yeah, exactly like what the, it is? I don't know. I think it's implied that it's a helmet. I always assumed it was mm-hmm. anyway. Um but you know it's like but they say, oh no, it's actually a symbol you like you put on your head or something. that's 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 the Icelandic sorcerers just making, you know, inventing oh, I had that someone or, tell know. me once to come up to me at a convention that we were at, saying that it was like a lead symbol that they hung across the forehead and the lead would make them go mad and fight harder <laughs> in battle. And I was yeah. like Huh? What? <laughs> it's very funny with this game of telephone that like people will pick up something and then they'll like yeah they'll get half of it and it will develop on its own. You know, it back. makes sense. It makes sense that some person would come and say that to uh, to you, Daniel, because uh, uh, I mean, a lot of uh, medieval uh, charms and stuff like that are actually written on lead tablets and you yeah. know that kind of stuff. So it, that that. Like that's probably where that comes from. Like, so it's I like mean, a, yeah, but how long? How long would you have to sit with it on your forehead? I'm pretty sure you you'd have to mad. keep it in your mouth. Like, you have to ingest lead to go mad from it, right? Yeah, I mean, you get obviously. <laughs> it's like the term "mad as a hatter" comes from hatters yeah. working with with like the lead Mercury. rim. But surely that was like every single day, and they were probably licking the fingers and getting it in the mouth. It's not just putting a piece of lead on your forehead. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how these uh, chemical things work. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I get like a lot of a lot of the people uh, who have issues with this are, of course, especially there. There, there are people who have either the tattoo, <laughs> or there, or there are people who like uh, who sell apparel or something with this symbol on it. So of course, it's their business interests there, uh, uh, or they are like um, uh, practitioners. You know, uh, modern you know rune magicians or something like that, and of course, you know I have no, I have no quarrel with them uh, whatsoever. I'm, uh, but but it's interesting because they'll say like, yeah, well you can't, you can't trust Irix Dorison because he's not a practitioner. Like, what do they know if I'm not a practitioner or not? Like, <laughs> I mean, like, I don't, I don't. It doesn't say like true in my bio or anything like that. And, and well, I don't. I'm not true, I think, but. Um, but like, but it's it's funny what sort of like assumptions people make based on the on the signals, like the outward, mm-hmm. uh, like signaling, and, and, and it's like uh, like I've I've dabbled with like 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 ritual magic, like Thelema and stuff like that. Like I was I've been in the OTO, and and I remember like there was a friend there like told me that, uh, like, like the people who like who like say they do the most magic, who like projected outwardly the most you know are usually the ones who are the least serious about it at the end of the day you know yeah yeah no i th- I, th- I think you're right about that like one of the uh the things i've uh, come across lately um and find rather funny are the uh Völer from iceland uh so so women who uh, call themselves a völva which mm. is apparently like you know means some kind of witch or something like that even though there's very very little 
early modern tradition and medieval tradition for that. Um, but say, they say then that, that, oh, this is inherited. Uh, this is like from, from a long line going all the way back to pagan times. And like, okay, fine. But, uh, and, and it's secret and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Totally secret. Okay. <laughs> why the hell is all of your you know profile pictures, you with like feathers in your hat and a drum and all that yeah. stuff. Like, how secret is that? <laughs> I always I also love like this idea that like uh, this secret knowledge that has been passed on because that's a, that's a stock theme of like esotericism as well like this esoteric silence and secrecy whereas like esotericism survives only because it's like advertising itself in one way you know but it's always like it's always they always this it's it's like a like a stock feature of it that they have to keep keep secret the things that they're actually acting about all the time and it's always like one person who's like the last tradition bearer that only only you met, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> whether it's like whether it's like like runic wrestling or whatever, <laughs> runic yoga. Oh yeah. I think Carl Maria Villegut, like who was actually like kind of uh like a an actual like pagan Nazi. Or though actually not, he was some weird like Aryan Christian kind of guy too. So again, as I said earlier, like this goes back to this Christianity thing. But he thought that like that like the Ten Commandments were stolen by the Jews, yes, from the Germans or something ridiculous like that, and and that uh, and that he was the secret king of Germany, yeah, and that was oh, a family so. secret, of course. You know, you just <laughs> you just have to believe him. <laughs> that that was just his his mummy telling him a nice story in a night, like you are the secret king, don't you? Were you know, all our parents have told us were special. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, these kinds of conspiracy theories, though, are are sort of ingrained in in the Germanic literature. Though, I mean, we have uh, uh, Sigurd uh, Dragonslayer, right? Um, I mean, we, we get it there—the secret line of the king and all that stuff. Um, some crank uh, <laughs> smith named Regin is sitting there telling telling him yeah, all yeah. this nonsense yeah, to get no, him to I'm... go fight the dragon. <laughs> no, I I love this initiatory mumbo jumbo, you know. So so you know, I mean, like I'm not gonna I'm not one to talk with my idiosyncrasies, but you know, I, I <laughs> with my hobomantic uh, auguries and whatnot. <laughs> um. So so one thing I wanted to to ask was also kind of on this whole white supremacy. It's, theme um how how do you think we get away from it in the sense that because even there's some scholars who seem to be ingrained in it because one thing i noticed was when I, I posted on the the new instagram for the for the podcast which is not a mythology podcast for anyone who wants to follow us i posted on there asking for for guests for for this year like who do you want to see and we got a bunch of people back and there were some some names that come up and I'd ask Mateus or other people would comment and be like, nah, fuck that guy, not him. <laughs> yeah. And I, to me, I, I didn't know any better. So, and I'm a little bit probably more ingrained than most people. So how are other people going to know if I didn't know? And you know what I mean? If there's the scholarly types who are, who are kind of leaning that way, how do we get away from it? If they're going to be, I guess, teaching their people, who who follow him who don't really know any better, but just getting led slightly in that direction. Yeah, no, it's it's uh no, of course it's um uh, it's a difficult uh, topic. Um, uh, I I tend to be quite relaxed actually on these sorts of things. I think that you should just kind of like I I, I try to stick to my own guns, mm -hmm. and be sort of very clear about like what you know 
what my intentions are, or at least like like lead through example, like uh, uh, just state my opinions basically in the in the degree that I have them. And if I have an opinion, it's usually very strong. <laughs> but uh, but uh, no, it's it's it is a very difficult question actually because I think that I don't think that the, that the right approach either is every time like a, like a crystal healer with some tattoos, as I said previously today, like people people see, you know, this Q shaman guy and they feel a need to run to their, you know, to their word document or whatever, or to their Facebook page and distance themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that creates an unfortunate association because you're kind of, by doing that, you're kind of saying that there's something, introducing the idea that there's something to this, you know? Um, It feels like a double-edged sword, or double-ended, double-edged sword in the fact that when we're going to talk about it in a minute with the Rolling Stone article where you get journalists yeah. who who tie you with the same brush, so you automatically you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. You either speak out and say fuck these, you know, these guys aren't anything to do with us and want to separate yourself, or you stay quiet and people just make the connection anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, yeah, I don't know. I I think yeah, one of the things that. Uh, well, it's it's such a it's such a complicated topic, and it's mm-hmm. it's difficult for because I understand that people don't want to be associated with uh, uh, you know all sorts of stuff. But I'm also like there, there's this kind of this notion that there's um, uh, when you're abusing you know symbols and 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 appropriating um, heritage for some sort of ideological means. That's often like what they say, right? Uh, that like this uh, this symbol is being abused. But when I say that, that's that's all. It's, it's always very like I don't want to, you know, defend or anything like that. But it's always very one sided, right? Because uh, it's never like, uh, like when people say kind of extremely like this very vapid stuff, like that the that the gods are immigrants or whatever. Like, mm. what is that supposed to mean? You know, or like or like uh, Tyr is handicapped because he lacks one hand. You know, yeah, does no, that make the Vikings like this this kind of like social democratic utopia or something? Is it like <laughs> I don't understand what is the point? It's a straw man, you know, and and I, I'm like, and isn't that an abuse of the heritage? Like, what is what is abuse here? That's what I want to know. Like, what is the wrong appropriation or what is the right one? Because like, on the one hand, you have kind of these these types who are like traveling around like surveying all the all the content that the other people are making and making sure that they're sleeping, you know, with their both their hands above their covers, you know, so they're not doing anything naughty under there or like that they're not having any off-color opinions or like that they don't have any political views that are, you know, uh, out of the center left or something, you know. And it's like uh, I I think that that is also kind of uh, like I, I understand where they're coming from, but I don't agree with the methodology. I think I think that's the thing. I, well, I so, so abu- I was gonna say, I think the abuse for me is when these people are using the symbols, and it can have a negative effect on people who are using them in a regular kind of normal way or just in a respectful way. Because mm. especially with this whole punch a Nazi thing, if you yeah. get these symbols attached to these white supremacy groups, whether it's wearing a Milner around your neck or a Valknut. The people who use them in nefarious ways, you're also running the risk of, say, if I, I wear a milliner around my neck and if I go to a certain area, is somebody going to come and punch me for just being 
the regular guy who, who treats these with respect. So for me, that's where abuse would be in that yeah. you, you could have a negative, especially in this case, a violent effect on other people who are doing absolutely nothing wrong that are, that are separate. Yeah, I have a very like I have a very high ceiling uh, when it comes of tolerance when it comes to odd ideas and a freedom of ideas like not the ideas that I share or anything like that but like that the total uh, freedom like flow of information and ideas. Uh, what I don't uh, appreciate is like stuff like like violence, um, racism, that sort of stuff uh, that I that I think is you know fairly like obvious clear uh things uh for me to just like avoid uh having any dealings with but um i think that like yeah i think that abuse i see things i see things that do make me angry or like things that i really don't like and that's especially like when it's being used uh in context that uh promotes kind of like this wholesale nihilistic violence you know because that that occurs also, you know, you got these kind of these very weird, um, kind of like violent uh, Nazi subcultures who, who like who will who will use that sort of stuff, and I I don't it doesn't serve a purpose apart from being like a rallying banner for them in a way. So I think that like that's maybe like one of the lines that I draw, uh, one mm -hmm. of many potential ones. But I am you know I'm very uh, wary, you know, from the get go of uh, of talking about misappropriation because i think that like if you go if you kind of like fall down the rabbit hole that like in uh and drinking this homebrewed kool-aid that i made for myself um like i see appropriation everywhere mm -hmm. like wherever norse mythology exists it's, it exists to to support or like it's promoted for some sort of purpose you know yeah no i, I agree with that there's there's so much um uh basically uh so much use I, I i don't want to call it appropriation i want to call it use uh for the most part um yeah. where people apply uh thoughts ideas stories um symbols imagery um made up imagery to uh to, to this concept of Old Norse or Viking or ancient Germanic something or pre-Christian Scandinavia, whatever you want to call it, and 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 well, I mean, that it's it's for most part it's no more less or uh, more genuine than than the other stuff that's happening out there, and then yeah, no, I I, I mean, a racism and, and and use of these symbols, these symbols and ideas for the purpose of racism is I I think a very obvious line to draw, um, but are there other places where you would say okay, this is a this is somewhere where I'm not going to like. Uh, uh, work with this person or talk with this person or whatever like are, are there are there other boundaries that you would uh, you make around this material uh no i think that uh like like i have i have spoken with and met uh, some uh, peculiar characters in my life <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh but no i i'm i'm usually even if they are very extreme i'm very curious about what drives them Mm -hmm. I'm very curious about like why they ended up like they did, and I think that is because when I was younger, I had a lot of run-ins with people um, who either were kind of extreme then, or ended up being extreme, or quite oppositely, they they had you know 
a past that they found regrettable and and they they weren't very happy about in the end. And so, and that's like some of the things that people are talking about with this kind of QAnon shit as well. Like everybody now is very eager to, you know, get these people who are in on the kind of the Trump train these days, uh, you know, brought to justice or something like that. Um, and people are very like bloodthirsty about it. But I think at the end of the day, these are, you know, these are, uh, we're, we're talking about people who are perfectly capable of, of, you know, rehabilitating or changing their life or like, they're not, they're not at the end of their character arc or anything like that. And I don't mean that as like, like necessarily as, you know, as a, as a normative statement necessarily. I'm saying that people do actually change and, and, and like in, in the eyes and standard of society, these people are completely capable of, uh, of, of coming back into, you know, into the warmth, I think. Uh, but they have to have the opportunity to do so. I think it's very important to be a, a level-headed about some of these things. Um, I, I, you know, a, a, whatever you may think of, of, uh, of, for instance, Trump and and uh, his whole political platform and all that stuff. Um, uh, you know, when people back in November voted, uh, went to the polls and voted, they uh, just performed a legitimate uh, democratic uh, act uh, so <laughs> they did you know uh, equating what those m many millions of people did when they went to the polls and voted for uh, for either for or against uh, a candidate um, I mean that's that's equating that with what is happening now what has happened like last week yeah. Um, and, and holding all of these millions of voters who, for various different reasons, have voted, right? Holding them accountable. That's not uh, that that's not that's not going to fly. I mean, that, yeah, no, that's, it's, that it's very work. uncool. But it's yeah. a, it's a, sad to say it's a, like like uh, it's it's a feature of American culture, I think. Um, and it's it's odd because when I moved to America, I thought that, uh, you know, I think that Americans are generally quite agreeable, likable people. It's a very friendly uh, and charitable culture. Um, but uh, I don't know why they, like, they have this kind of uh, bloodthirstiness about them. Like, they they just kind of, they, they love making enemies with each other and kind yeah, of well, <laughs> making blanket statements, you know? It's like... Uh, there's there's the media that's definitely involved in that right and uh, yeah. and this, this and that that fuels that culture of well the cancel culture that's also involved where yeah. where where yeah. you know it's it's a it's a do or die kind of thing like if 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 you have this opinion then then you, then you're either in or out right <laughs> that's, yeah and that's i think it. Cancel culture only serves to radicalize more people. Like that's that's what it's uh, at the end of the day. There are more people getting radicalized by cancel culture than are not than are being reformed. Yeah, I think you're and, right about that. And and I I know that if if somebody like people have tried to hold me accountable for completely bullshit things, like I made a I made a podcast where I just I completely ridiculed uh, some of Varg's prison era literature you know as ufo stuff mm -hmm. and somebody had like like thought that i had, i'd had varg on my podcast and like <laughs> promoted <laughs> promoted his ideology and they had like this furious rant about like 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 it was kind of a monster i was and things like that it's completely ridiculous like ever since then i think that like i've thought 
of course, if somebody tried to like cancel me with some some, some bullshit like that, I would double down. You know, mm-hmm. I would fucking do everything I've done even harder. Uh, but <laughs> the but the uh, I think that people people a lot of people who otherwise you know weren't even that suspect to begin with, you know, they go down like a very deep dark valley <laughs> after this. You know, you talk about like guilt by association before. Like these people are, you know. They're going only going to have one place to turn. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I I agree with that. That's that. That's the main problem. I mean, um, yeah. Speaking speaking of this uh, subject and uh, and things you get uh, accused for. I mean, um, you've also done uh, a uh, what a podcast or a, what was it a YouTube video? I can't remember. With survive the jive, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And and that is a. I mean, personally, I'd never. Uh, uh, do do anything with that guy because I that that's too far for me. Um, but um, but what like what do you say to the people who uh, um, you know accuse you of uh, nefarious uh, <laughs> thoughts and ideas because of of that? Like, well, as I have already said, you know, I've my threshold uh, for speaking to people like and 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 meeting people is very very high, um, and. Uh, you know, and and you know, uh, I know Tom. I uh, I some, sometimes spoke to him uh, before, uh, uh, you know, before I met him as well. You know, and uh, and he would you know ask me about stuff and things like that. And you know, I always, whoever asks me, I would rather you know uh, give them my take, you know, uh, about something than send them somewhere else. Generally speaking, um, and you know, he was at that point. He was in New York City, and I. I hung out with uh, him and his wife a little bit and they were, you know, agreeable people, you know, mm-hmm. from what I saw, you know. Of course, uh, Tom is, you know, openly like uh, right wing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's fair to say. I think he says that himself. It's very clear, like he he, he does everything but scream it off of the, the rooftops. I don't consider myself right wing. I don't, no. Um, but, uh, there are, you know, I have fans who are right-wingers. I have fans who are complete, who are communists, uh, who will say stuff like, um, that, uh, that Brute Norris, uh, to them, you know, provides something for them that, uh, that, you know, the left just often doesn't cater to like a sense of belonging and identity. And I think that that's, uh, it's kind of a sad thing that the right has a monopoly on that, mm-hmm. you know? This sense of rootedness that this is something that, and that's like they're, they're, that's like the biggest the biggest card the right has, you know, you know. So of course, if I was, if I was like uh, like a Norwegian nationalist and I had a YouTube channel or something like that, I would fucking like I would milk that for what I had. So of course, so I think that that's yeah. just like you know the, that's just how it is. There are tigers and there are cats and there are, but yeah, no, I've, but I think that like. Uh, that Tom also is like he's uh, he's he's a conscientious person, you know. I don't know him very well, you know, and I don't uh, I don't know his affiliations or anything like that. But uh, no, I stand by my my video with him, and uh, I thought that also the like the content that I wanted to show him was like uh, the Norway Day Parade in Brooklyn, right? Which is actually like it's a very positive thing. It's like the last remnant of kind of Scandinavian identity in, in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. in, a, in a diaspora that is, 
um, that is very much still active, but it's you know it's sort of it's sort of vanishing and becoming kind of assimilated with the rest of the U.S. population in a way. Mm. So, so it was the whole thing was kind of incidental and spontaneous, you know. But I don't have you know, I don't have anything to regret. I think by right, you yeah. Know. Oh. I mean, if, in the same vein, I mean, we have also taken some shit from from having Jack Donovan on, and, um, and as I've said to people who uh, who have questioned that, uh, I mean, uh, we 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 wouldn't bring uh, people who are racist on our show. Um, that, no, that yeah, is again, yeah. That, that's the line that we we draw. Um, and I mean, I personally, I don't know enough about uh, uh, Tom Rouse to say uh, if if that's what he is or or whatever. Um, but but I think it's uh, you know it's important to address these things nowadays, um, as we're seeing <laughs> seeing these things unfold. Yeah, yeah, no. Mm-hmm. And and we're all of a sudden um, seeing uh, very clear symbols that are involved. Uh, with our subculture all of a sudden being involved with this this uh, this subculture that is uh, some weird mix of Christian nationalists, fascists, and uh, <laughs> uh, New Agers, crystal hippies. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, it's it's very it's very. I can think it could be very hard for people to navigate, and it brings me back to that uh, the Rolling Stones article. And that that basically equates the word heathen with white supremacist. That's that was the first version of that article, and since then, there's been a lot of people who have emailed them, uh, myself included, by the way, uh, telling them, uh, guys, this is something that that we identify with, and we're not white supremacists, and we do not condone any of this stuff. So, could you please change that? Yeah, I think I think the writer came out and said that she. Apparently, like ninety nine percent of the people that she'd ever spoken to who identified as being heathen were sort of right wing white supremacists. So that's why she put it. And it like that just seems like some sort of bullshit excuse, in my opinion. Yeah, that is yeah, a no, very it's... bullshit excuse, if you ask me. I mean, that is that that that's absurd because there's plenty <laughs> of uh, scholarly literature on this at this point. Uh, there are multiple um, specialists uh, that are public, uh, publicly available that they can uh, just reach out to. Hey, guys, right here, you know, <laughs> like you can talk to me if you need to. You can talk to Eric if you want to. You can talk to uh, Jennifer Snook. Uh, there, there's 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 a whole range of scholars out there um, that that uh, that have both you know a foot in the actual heathen club so to speak and also in scholarship so that's like just that's bullshit man <laughs> oh for sure yeah it's uh lazy it's yeah. uh, it's uh, completely inexcusable yeah and it is and it is dangerous as i said because it is like like one of the things like one of the problems that i had like with uh, there's a norwegian article uh about the so-called identitarian movement uh that in in Norway that tried to like uh, map uh, traditionalist uh, groups and things like that, and, and identitarians in uh, in Norway, because like at that time, you had like the generation identity, you mm. know, it was starting to kind of like starting to become very like famous in the continent. You know, there were like storming mosques and shit like that. It was very much associated with like Catholic youth in in Germany and France, I think. And uh, so again, not not a heathen phenomenon in itself, but mm. uh, so. There were like some people, some right wingers, like in Norway, who were like, sn- s- you know, sniffing 
given that like identitarian stuff a sniff and it was scholars were unsure whether they should deem like any sort of like you know like like a right-wing nationalist group you know call them identitarians or if it's the self-applied term you're referring to so there was a bit of confusion there like so you have identitarians as a descriptive term and a self-applied identitarian term like and at that time like i you know i had friends who were like they were like flirting with that sort of stuff you know and um some, but there, I don't think that like there was any real like identitarian movement in Norway at the time. Well, this article was published, and uh, you know, fast forward a few years, boy, there sure is now. You could say like there's mm-hmm. there's not not a, not a movement, but cert- certainly the the term has stuck. Yeah. And I think that's why it's it's very dangerous with this sort of just throwing around terminology, uh, just because it's like common buzzword right now. So you think because people will associate with it, right? You know, I think that a lot of the younger uh, kids who started getting like, getting like radicalized and started like uh, becoming this kind of like right wing thing, they started. They probably read this article and thought, "Oh, hmm, is that what I am?" You know. Mm-hmm. You no, know? That's, that's actually exactly what I was going to ask you here. Do you think that you know, to an extent, uh, these sort of like investigations and uh, sometimes even paranoid approaches to to these groups and ideas and terms and so on are part of actually like creating them in and of itself like this f- weird feedback loop uh, yeah it can be uh, but I've, i i don't think that that should deter like uh, scholars and like people who actually research research this stuff from researching it mm-hmm. of course because as i said previously like this this you know this cultic milieu you know these countercultures, they're always referential uh, to the sort of content being made about them. They're always, like, Nazis are always reading scholarly works, like the intellectuals at least, are always reading scholarly works about, you know, national socialism and things like that. So that's, in, you know, inevitable. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that scholars need to be, uh, like anybody who writes about this, journalists or scholars, whatever they are, they should be... Um, very clear on their terminology. They should define it clearly, and they should be uh, very, you know, conscientious about about the stuff that they write. You know, yeah. don't just like throw out anything out there for like, you know, for dramatic effects. You know, because this is what will get them the more readers or get journalists to speak with them or something. Like there are some some um, like in Norway, there's been like a severe lack of people who are like good understanders of that sort of stuff sometimes, and uh, but there are some luckily out there now who are like savvy they understand the counterculture because they are themselves part of the counterculture partially mm. you know like just, you know, like yeah I was say, just to jump in I, I wanted to actually read the the excerpt from the um article that, that was most annoying to me uh, just to, in case people haven't seen it they're listening so they have a little bit more of an idea what we're talking about um and i guess basically what the, what they've put is talking about this shaman whatever you want to call him um so what they've put is he has a milner or thor's hammer on his stomach an image of yggdrasil or tree of life etched around his nipple and most significantly placed right above his heart a valknut or, or knot of the slain an old norse runic symbol turned recognized hate symbol that is popular among white supremacists in addition the milner has become a symbol of the identity among self-proclaimed heathens in brackets, code word for white supremacist aligned pagans, which 
it's just fucking absolutely ridiculous that they would even when I when I was reading it originally, I was like, no way, this must be this must be fake. Surely not. Um and I guess it's undeniable that there are some racist heathens. That's you yeah, we, sure. At this point, there's, we, there's no. It's, there's it's almost yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. almost like that 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 Trump saying that you know not all Trump voters are racist, but all racists are Trump voters, and it's kind of like you know not all heathens are racist, but whatever way around it goes, <laughs> the, you know the basically the you know there are some racists within the heathen community, but by no means is it all of them uh, by any stretch. But it's kind of a spectrum, though. Like, I remember when Trump was first being, you know, elected in 2016. Like, I spoke to people who were like, they were hoping for Trump to win just to stir the pot, you know? Mm. Oh, of course. I bet there was. Uh, as, and, like, and I, I, don't, I don't think I realized, like, how much of a shit show it would be. I thought, like, a, like what's, what's the damage he can do, you know? So, of course, some, some people have gained, like, a moral victory here, like, through this mess. But, but I remember a lot of the like I knew people who like were like probably like the people would be consider them kind of right wing, but they would have preferred like somebody like Bernie, they said mm. at that point, you know, but, uh, but they were also sort of like, they, they're kind of like, they, they liked the, the kind of anti-establishment talk, you know? Oh, some people just want to stir, stir shit up and they just want to see yeah. whatever's going to cause the most drama. Yeah. Yeah, which is like, I've I just, I've, <laughs> how much drama can you can you can you fucking get? Like I moved from from Norway with small country problems. The only issues we had in Norway is like like drilling for oil and and cluster bomb investments in foreign economies, you know, so <laughs> foreign interventions. And suddenly I'm here, you know, and and there's there's riots, there's a pandemic, and I'm sitting here in my. Yeah, no, I mean, as a, uh, um, sorry, I'm going to throw this out here, Dan, but uh, as a European citizen, I have <laughs> such a long list of countries I can just go live in without a visa, <laughs> and, I'm, uh, and I'm sitting here. <laughs> we can't do that anymore. It's so funny, it's, the whole world has, like, gone upside down. I remember, like, yeah, in, in Norway, like, being anti-EU was, like, the, the classic left-wing uh, political position, and now Same suddenly Denmark. it's like, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, so if you were anti-EU in in Norway, you were always like left-wing, and today it's like the the opposite. All the leftists are rooting for EU, and the yeah, and like the, the, the right the, pop, the right-wing populists are like like <laughs> cheering trying for to take it down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, this is uh, it, these are strange times, and I think uh, you know it's. Uh, uh, it's curious the way uh, things are, are moving. I am having a real hard time seeing anybody as a winner in all of this. I think no. uh, right now we're all losing out uh, greatly. Oh, massively. Um, yeah, and uh, and it's a it's a lot of fucking chaos. Um, I don't know it's, if it's because I'm getting older, like that that like I'm getting more I'm getting more like tender hearted and sensitive and things like that. I just don't, just and losing my edge, I just don't want. <laughs> just, I just, just want, want a revolution. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, no. you know there are there are things like there are things that I fought like uh, when I was like twenty five years old. I was like, eh, that's not so dangerous, you know. I was just you know chilling in my kind of quasi anarcho primitivist 
uh, cabin out in the like, and uh, <laughs> and just thinking every I can treat everything with ironic distance and and nothing matters and like sort of like this kind of nihilistic approach, and now I'm less like. Like uh, like I'm I'm 32 but feel like 42 and I'm just like <laughs> just tired <I'm> just, <laughs> just just sick and tired just just be just uh, we, just be nice to each this, other so, you know should we wrap this up I know you're short on time I don't want to make you late for for work or whatever you've got after this um, oh yeah yeah well that's that's probably fine yeah yeah well I mean thank you very much for joining us I know you know we had to squeeze this one in and you're welcome back anytime to discuss lighter topics or more things maybe yeah, Norse or, mythology yeah, I, related. <laughs> yeah, but I, I really like I have a very like 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 a masochistic uh joy of talking about these very difficult topics. So it's like <laughs> it's very fun. But I think it's a very important topic and I think it, it's uh, it's one that deserves a lot of um just complete, you know, honesty. And of course mm-hmm. I have sure. I I do have the Valknut tattoo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so-called Valknut, but I had the actual <laughs> Valknut as well. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll we never got it. around to talking about that in the uh, in the podcast, but we will that's do also like one of the say things that like Valknut is an actual. Yeah. It's an actual thing. Yeah. No, I. I mean, I have it too on on my arm. So. Uh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's a um, that that's another whole other thing, right? <laughs> All of a sudden, you see that jackass over there. <laughs> but also, like, on, since uh, like on a much more lighter, light-hearted note, of course, the the connotation of this like Valknut, which is identical to the command symbol on your regular MacBook or whatever, uh, is of course that uh, in in Scandinavia, the association of the actual actual symbol with the Valknut name attached to it. Uh, it's a symbol for ancient monuments and, and museums and and these pleasant, wonderful things that have uh, survived the carnage of history. That's it. Yeah. Um, is, have you got anything you want to plug, plug your podcast, your page, anything you want to shout out whilst, before we wrap up? Yeah, uh, listen to uh, listen to Brute Norse. I'm on soundcloud.com slash Brute Norse. Um, Follow me on Instagram at Brute Norse, I guess. Uh, I don't have anything else to say. Uh, keep on walking backwards into the future. And uh, <laughs> and yeah. Perfect. Uh, Matthias, what about you? Yeah, you can always find me on Instagram uh, under my name, Matthias Nordvik. Um, and yeah, of course, always, uh, if you're on Facebook, go give uh, the uh, Nordic Mythology podcast a, a like um, there. And do you want to plug the Instagram page? <laughs> I'll do. I'll try to do everything else. Uh, yeah. So you can follow me personally at Daniel underscore Farrand one on Instagram. Obviously, Horns of Odin. We have our own Instagram for the podcast now, which is Nordic Mythology Podcast on Instagram as well, where we post new videos, highlights, little bits, bits and bats as we we come across them. You can also message us on there. Obviously, if you want to support us further, you have our Patreon, which is just Patreon forward slash Nordic Mythology, Nordic Mythology Podcast, where we do bonus material, um, video episodes, ad-free episodes, a bunch of material on there. Obviously, we're going to be looking at some merch shortly as well. And if you like the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating and a positive review. That obviously helps people who might not know whether you know might not know whether they want to listen to the episode or not might just sway them in the right direction. Um, yeah, and absolutely go and listen to uh, Eric's Brew Norse podcast as well. Thank you. 
Perfect. Thank you. 